official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. So I'm going to give a sermonette this morning. Who knows what a sermonette is? This is a little, little sermon, right? And we have two weeks left to finish Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing is he's explaining the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven. He's explaining the inbreaking of the kingdom of God and what it looks like for you and I to be citizens in that kingdom. And this is, might sound obvious, but I, I feel the need to state it anyway. This teaching by Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, is not meant for everyone. And that might come as a shock to you. Be like, whoa, one of Jesus' teachings is, is not meant for everyone? No, it's for those who are interested in becoming part of his kingdom. See, this, this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus' kingdom manifesto. It's for those who are, are deciding to make Jesus their king and their Lord. And the reason I state that is because I, I feel as Christians, we get into a lot of trouble when we try to push a Jesus kingdom ethic onto people who have no interest in being part of his kingdom yet. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's, it's, it, sometimes I just think about that, how that comes across. And it's almost like, hey, I know you're not interested in this kingdom, but I'd really like it if you live the way I do because it makes me feel more comfortable. So just do this. <laughs> And they must scratch their head and think, but I don't want to be, I'm not interested in that kingdom. What I love about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is it's primarily for those who are deciding whether or not to make Jesus their king. Um, we can't expect people to live a Jesus' kingdom ethic if they're not interested in being part of his kingdom. Now, I'm also aware that when Jesus was giving this sermon on the mountainside, that there were likely people who were eavesdropping, that, that didn't consider themselves to be followers of Jesus yet, but they were curious, they were investigating, and they were perhaps even thinking to themselves, being king of my own life isn't going so well, maybe I should give this guy a listen. But at the same time, they're not all in yet, right? Because they're not going to surrender their lordship, their own lordship of their own lives to Jesus until they first find out what kind of a king he is. Which is why Jesus, when he taught, the number one topic he taught on was the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He taught on that more than any other topic. Why? Because he's trying to let people know this is what the kingdom of God is like. Here's the invitation to the kingdom that is available to you now. See, most people think that the kingdom of heaven starts for us when we die. So this, this left arm, this elbow is when I'm when and this fingers when we die. Right? Most people think that's our lifespan. And the kingdom of heaven starts right here when, when this arm touch, intersects with this arm. Touch. So we die right here, and the kingdom of heaven starts here and goes forward. But Jesus tells us something completely different. See, in Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of heaven, it looks more like this. Right? This right here is when we decide in our lives to make Jesus our king. And we enter into kingdom life. 
We have eternal life right here. Not, we don't have to wait for the kingdom at the end of our life. It intersects, and Jesus says, no, the kingdom of God is available to you now. You don't have to wait till you die. It's available right now. The moment that you decide to make Jesus your king, you're now living a kingdom life. And so when he teaches the Sermon on the Mount, it's for those who are in that process, deciding whether or not to make Jesus king. And so it's an invitation for us to rethink our lives because if the kingdom's available to us now, then that means we don't have to wait. We can experience it. So here's what we're going to do this morning. There's four parts of the sermon that we're going to cover today. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, you'll know is the golden rule. We're going to look at that. Then we're going to go to the next two verses in where Jesus talks about narrow and wide gates. The verses after that are about true and false prophets. And then finally, true and false disciples after that. This section are Jesus' instructions on how to enter into the kingdom. And also, he includes some warnings so that we don't miss the path to kingdom life. So that's what this section is we're going to look at this morning. You guys ready to do this? All right, verse 12, verse 12, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So in everything, do unto others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. There's another part in the gospel where someone asked Jesus, What's the greatest commandment? And what they were really after, what they were really asking him about is, what's the one thing I have to do to be a part of your kingdom? And and Jesus responds and says, well, it's not one, it's two. The first one is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, heart, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, on these two all the law and the prophets hang, right? And what we have to understand when Jesus said that, how how, um, revolutionary that was, the Torah had 613 laws. It had 248 do's, and it had 365 do nots, 613. And at first glance, we can read these words by Jesus and say, whoa, isn't Jesus cool? He got rid of all those laws. He only gives us two because he's so cool. He's so understanding. He just like got rid of all those laws. He reduced 613 to two. However, I contest that. I'd argue otherwise that he didn't reduce the law for us. He expanded it. He simplified it, but he expanded it. Because whenever you love God with everything you are and you love your neighbor as yourself, you end up doing and not doing way more than 613 things right? Can I give you an example? I bought a new MacBook a couple weeks ago. It's so awesome. It's, it's, it's new, and it's fast, and it works really good, and it's sleek, and I'm pretty protective of it. This week, my wife, Michelle, um, was borrowing it and using it at the kitchen table and looking at some stuff, and she tripped on the cord, and it fell off the table and smashed on the floor. And I, and, and I said, is that my MacBook? <laughs> and she just looked over and just kind of smiled at me because <laughs> she knows me. And I, I went over and I, picked, I got it. And I'm like, okay, you, you can't use this anymore. You can't use this anymore. I put it. Last week, Mark 
preach, do not judge. Remember Jesus teaching? Don't judge me right now. And so I took it and I said, you can't use this anymore. You, you have to be careful with this. This is, this, is a, this is my MacBook, my new one. And uh, we had some conversation about that. <laughs> the next morning, I, I was uh, sitting in my office and I'm praying. I said, I should look at the passage of scripture I'm going to preach on Sunday. And the first verse was, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. And I thought, oh, I probably, if I made a mistake and, and like smashed somebody's computer, I, I would want to still use it, right? You see, so I, I, I know this, that if I went to the law in the Old Testament, there would probably not be a law that says don't let your family, you know, you, you can tell your family they can't use your new MacBook. Probably wouldn't find that law in there. <laughs> But if I take Jesus' words seriously here, the do unto others, as you'd have them do, then the law expanded for me, didn't it? You see how, you see how the golden rule isn't reductive, it's expansive. Now, Jesus simplifies it for us because he's really good at that. He simplifies it, says, here, there's just two things. But it really expands how we live, right? Um. Let's look at these next two verses, because Jesus is going to give some instructions on how to enter the kingdom. And he says this in verse 13, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So Jesus says, let me just continue making things really simple. I love how Jesus does that. He simplifies things so amazing. He says, let me make it more simple for you. Here are the directions to get to God's kingdom. He tells his disciples, there's two roads. One of them's wide. One of them's narrow. One of them has a wide gate. One has a narrow gate. And write this down. This is the directions to get to the kingdom. Choose the narrow one. The narrow one's how you get to the kingdom. Really simple, right? There's two roads. One's wide, one's narrow. Choose the narrow. I love how Jesus simplifies things for us. Again, when I say simplifies things, I don't mean that he makes things easy. I mean he makes things simple, right? There's a big difference there. In John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus tells his disciples this, I am the gate. So he's building on this teaching, right? He says, the only way to enter into the kingdom, the only way to get to the Father is through me. And what the disciples discover here with Jesus is that his directions to enter the kingdom aren't just calling them to live a moral life. He's inviting them to rely on him as their Savior, their Lord, and their King. And we have to wonder, okay, but, but what about the narrow part? Why, why, why does the path have to be narrow? Well, it, it's narrow because it demands something of us. It's narrow because we, we have to surrender our own lordship to come under his. Right? That's the only way you make someone your king, is when you surrender your own lordship to another. And so Jesus makes it clear from the outset that it's not enough to be mildly associated with him. We either have to make him our king or we, we don't. 
and we can't soften the rigor of his words here. Okay, let's look at a few warnings he has for those who are interested in being part of his kingdom. The next verse, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. So Jesus gives us a description here, um, a warning, a description of this false prophet, right? And then he gives us a BS detector to kind of, how do we detect false prophets, and a false prophet, of course, is someone who, who claims to speak on behalf of God but isn't. A false prophet is someone who doesn't follow the way of Jesus. And Jesus says this, they're like ferocious wolves. And they have sheep's clothing on. They look the part, but they're not living authentically. Right? They have an agenda. So how do we detect them? Well, Jesus says this, look at their fruit. Look at the way they're, they're, they're living He's essentially telling his disciples, use discernment. Decipher if they're living in line with God's will and character or not. Now, you could say, wait a minute, Adam. Mark Pedersen just preached last week, Matthew chapter 7, 1, where Jesus says, do not judge. Sounds a lot like judging. You're saying... That Jesus is saying, don't judge, and then a little bit later he's saying, oh, investigate their fruit, use discernment. Well, there's a big difference between discerning and judging. Um, discernment provides us with insight and clarity. Judging delivers condemnation, right? Discernment is approached with humility. Judgment fosters an attitude of superiority. And so when Jesus tells us not to judge, he does tell us to discern, Especially when we're listening in, to people who are claiming to speak for God. So let me bring this a little bit closer to home. Some of you here know me pretty well. Others of you don't yet. I hope that changes. But if you take Jesus' word seriously here, that means you should not believe everything I tell you. Right? And you could say, but wait a second, you're a pastor. You, we, we should be able to trust that. No, no, Jesus says when you listen to people who are speaking on behalf of God, or they're preaching, they're teaching, that you have to use discernment and say, what's the fruit of their life? Is the character, am I just looking at the charisma of a person and their gifting and ability, or is the character matter? See, what Jesus is saying when he says inspect the fruit is he's, he's saying this, the character of the fruit always represents the character of the tree. And so when we don't know someone and we're listening to their teaching and their preaching, we, Jesus says, he doesn't tell us to not listen. He tells us, use discernment because, hey, watch out. Inspect their fruit, right? Otherwise, you can miss the path to a kingdom life. This is one of his warnings. Character matters more than charisma. And so these next words by Jesus are proof of that. Verse 21 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name 
and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, we read this section of, of Jesus' teaching here, and we realize that it's possible to deceive ourselves into thinking we're citizens of God's kingdom when we really aren't. Whoa, that's a heavy, right? On Judgment Day, Jesus says people will come and they'll say, Lord, look at all the spiritual works we did. We we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed miracles in your name. And notice that that each of those descriptions has this little phrase attached to it, in your name, which implies this. They were affiliated with Jesus, but they hadn't made him their king, right? And if you're like me, Man, I remember the first time I read this passage, I was a teenager. And I, and I always imagined the worst outcomes. That's <laughs> how my brain works. And when I read this verse, I said, whoa, what if I've deceived myself? And I'm, what, what if that happens to me? And I'm standing at the judgment day and I hear, oh, I never knew you. Oh, no, what, what if that happens to me? Well, let me, if there's anyone else here who has that kind of same brain wiring, let me talk you off the ledge of sheer panic <laughs> really quickly. <laughs> Remember I told you that Jesus is really good at making things simple for us? See, he makes salvation real simple for us. In fact, the Apostle Paul picks up on his teaching, and in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, the Apostle Paul says this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. How many know um, the paraphrased version of the Bible that Eugene Peterson wrote called The Message? Anyone familiar with that? Let me read how he phrases this, paraphrases this verse. He says it this way. It's the word of faith that welcomes God to go to work and set things right for us. This is the core of our preaching. Say the welcoming word to God. Jesus is my master. That's it. You're not doing anything. You're simply calling out to God, trusting him to do it for you. That's salvation. See, we can be confident that we're not going to be part of those people that say, well, wait a minute. Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name, do miracles in your name? We don't have to worry about him saying, oh, depart from me, I never knew you. As long as we understand this, that when we trust in what Jesus did for us on the cross, we believe that God raised him from the dead, and we declare him as Lord, then we're okay. Right? We're good because we've made Christ our king. Did you know that the very first creed for the early church, before the Apostles' Creed was written, before the Nicene Creed was written, the very first creed was three simple words. Jesus is Lord. That was the first creed of the early church. Don't you love how simple Jesus is? Like he just simplifies everything for us. Jesus is Lord. It's, it's a simple truth, but it's one we spend the rest of our lives working out. Right? We're still in this place of, of learning, um, this lifelong process of like, how do I make Jesus Lord of everything in my life? And sometimes we forget, right? And we become our own lords again. And then we say, oh, no, no, I got to surrender that and submit, submit to Jesus' lordship. 
So although it's simple, it's, it's really complex when we start living it out, right? There's a process to it. So let me just end by quickly reviewing Jesus' instructions here in his Sermon on the Mount and how do we enter the kingdom, right? And then what are some warnings that we need to look out for? One, love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus didn't reduce the law for us. He, he expanded it, right? Two, choose the narrow road that leads to make Jesus, leads to make, making Jesus your Savior, your Lord, and your King. There has to come a point when we surrender our own Lordship to come under His, and that's what makes the path narrow, because that's a difficult thing to do, right? Surrender our own Lordship of our own lives over to him. Three, watch out for wolves who dress up like sheep. You don't know if I'm a false teacher. You better look into it for yourself. You know, that's how crazy cults get started, right? Somebody convinces a group of people to just believe what they're saying and not look into it for themselves. Listen, you should be like going to scripture and looking into it for, for yourselves. Anything you hear at Church of the Well, you should be like, well, that's, that sounds good, but I, I got to check that out for myself, Right? Use discernment, inspect fruit, character matters. And the last one, don't deceive yourself into thinking that special works or spiritual works get you a pass into the kingdom of heaven. They don't, right? Jesus makes that clear for us. And so can I close this in a prayer? All right, let's pray together. God, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to us in, in not just doing what he did by going to the cross for us and raise, coming back to life on Easter Sunday, reconciling us with, with you, but I just thank you for this teaching that he gave, which is so simple and so clear. It's difficult. It's, it's, it's not easy, but it's clear. Lord, we pray that, that you would help us to, to, to walk it out and to, to live in this freedom. God, we don't want to just envision our lives where the kingdom starts when we die because that's not what Jesus taught we want to we want to experience a kingdom life now that the kingdom of God is available to us right now and so Lord for any of us in this room who are maybe contemplating whether or not to make you our king which is a big decision God I pray that you would be gentle and just kind of speak to 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 our hearts and Lord, for those of us in this room who have made you our king, but sometimes we want our lordship back. <laughs> we ask that you would be patient with us and that you would continue to, to, uh, continue to extend the kingdom to us. Lord, we thank you so much for, for the ability we have uh, to come before you and worship you and be a part of your kingdom. We ask God that that you would continue to transform our lives as we engage, as we engage and as we uh, commit ourselves to doing that. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand together and we'll close with one song. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. 